welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. Today, the long-awaited book review slash book brainstorm with an excellent book I've been hyping for a, a bit of time now, The Self-Driven Child by William Stixrud and Ned Johnson, published 2018 by Viking. This book is exceptional. Subtitled, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. So we hear a lot about helicopter parenting on one end of the spectrum where you're there hovering over the kids 24-7. And the other end of the spectrum is absentee parenting where you're absent emotionally, physically, you're intellectually, you're distracted, you're busy, you're not present. And they say the sweet spot somewhere in between. So can this book help get us to that sweet spot? Stay tuned. You'll see. You're here with the Weather of the Mind podcast. We're bringing you practical approaches to emotional health week in, week out. And we try to make these shows that um, are not really topical to the week, but more topical to our time and place in, in this challenge of thinking about our emotional health in... America and modern society around the world, we have a lot of anxiety, depression, and addiction issues, and they are part of all of us, if not part of all of our individual selves, part of our families, part of our lives. So we're trying to come together and give you thoughtful reflection and stoke the mental digestions of our situation because we all got wisdom. We just got to kind of Give it some time to percolate and brainstorm together. At least that's my point of view. So let's play a few seconds of uh, tunes and we'll come back with today's show. Self-Driven Child. Today's show, I'm going to talk about this book, The Self-Driven Child, but I have to admit, I'm going to, well not admit, but explain that I'm going to focus on mostly the first 35 pages because that's how rich this book is. The first 35, see when I open a book, I'll look, I'll see the title. Like this book, I think I found it while I was in the library looking at a section on child psychology and the self-driven child got my attention because self-driven, decision-making, motivation, two really fundamental skills for a healthy life. So Let's see what these guys have to say. And then I'll pop open to the contents while I'm standing there in the library. And the introduction, why a sense of control is such a big deal. Chapter one, the most stressful thing in the universe. Chapter two, the parent as consultant. Chapter three, kids as decision makers. Chapter four, the non-anxious presence, how to help your kids find a sense of control by finding your own. So once we start, so I kind of feel this book is actually two books in one, and and that first book is is a nice short book of 25 to 30 pages that really outlines the main theories, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. And afterwards, what I consider part two, a, a big meat of this book, is kind of taking those theories and applying them to different aspects of life. Um, chapter seven, sleep. Ta- chapter eight, taking a sense of control to school. Chapter 9, Wired 24-7, Taming the Beast of Technology. Chapter 10, Exercising the Brain and Body. 
I mean, I think this book is kind of doing a similar thing as, as this podcast is trying to do. Try to provide an overview of a general game plan for emotional health. Now, this one is focused on children. And I like the first 20 or 30 pages because it seems like it's focused on, on children, young children, and also young children and te- up to teenagers. But after that, it really focuses on more practical approaches, especially for teenagers. One of the authors focuses on counseling parents and, and teenagers as they approach college. And he sees, he sees the stress that has risen in this field and is just is quite devastating to families and children. So while he's coaching families and how to get into college, he's also addressing the problems that go with that. And the problems have really been getting intense more and more so over the last 15 or 20 years. So this this brings to an important side point, and that is when we talk about any of these topics, you can't just stay in the realm of psychology because you can't talk about anxiety and depression in America right now with teenage anxiety depression without talking about this what I'm going to start to call the academic industrial complex. Um, And that is making people, creating this mythology that the only way to succeed in life is to stress yourself out, to get in the best college, to get get in the best job. Just so much stress is being put on these youngsters in, in, in different ways than stress was put upon us 20 years ago. And obviously different ways than youngsters would have felt stressed 40 years ago, 60 years ago. One thing I like about this book is they're really clear about raising some fundamental questions. So they say that in 19, in a a study that they reference, looks at high school students from 1960 to 2002. So this doesn't even include the last nearly two decades where things have gotten more intense uh, in this college rat race. The idea is that students from 1960 till now, there's an internal locus of control and an external locus of control. And we are always balancing these because we live in a society, we have expectations upon us, we have relationships. We are, there are things outside of us that control our behavior and what we do and how we act. That's part of being a human and part of being a social being in a social society. But there's also the internal locus of control. And this is how we decide what we decide to do with our days and our time and our conversations and our life, right? So we have some agency over ourselves, and the world has some agency over us. That's just the way it goes. But the feeling is the perception. The perception is really important. The perception for high school students is that their locus of control is not balanced anymore and that they they just feel like they're getting so much external locus of control and being forced to this and to that and to this and to that that they're just they're just completely exhausted and and and, and emotionally ungrounded and this is le- this kind of lack of locus of control is what is is leading into a lot of the anxiety and depression we see this is essentially the thesis of this book looking at the locus of control and how to develop that internal locus of control, how to, to, in, to develop that sense of agency in, in the lives of children and, and therefore in the lives of adults. While this book is written for children in mind, the fundamental concepts 
of anxiety and depression, how it relates to our perception of control or being out of control of life is very insightful. I want to present an image to you, and it's an image from the book, and it really, I think, is the image to take away from this book. And the image has to do with rats in a scientific study. Now, you can picture a big, fat, 20-pound New York City rat, because that kind of ruins the, the vibe. You have to picture a, a rat that someone would have as a pet, and some people might not even like that. So... This study's on rats, but if you need to picture um, little rabbits because they're furrier and cuter uh, or whatever. But this is a study about scientific rats, all right? And you have a mama rat with her baby rats, okay? And just similar to a lot of mammals, there is some time where that mother and that baby rat are going to be nursing and to be close to each other. So that baby rat just needs to be close to mom. You know, it's just, that, that's the number one need in life is make sure you're close to mom. Mom is life. So what they do in this study is they want to see how baby rats react to being separated from the mom. And the findings are amazing. In one group, they take the rats away for 15, 15 minutes a day. And this is stressful to the rats, but, but not overwhelmingly stressful. And they return them to the mothers after 15 minutes away. And she grooms them and they get back. And then the other baby rats, they're separated the mom for three hours. And when they return after three hours, they have essentially become overstressed and they don't interact with the mother. They're withdrawn. They isolate. So then what happens is they test the resilience of these different rats as adults. And the baby rats who are separated from their mother for 15 minutes a day, they have the highest resilience of all the rats. Even more resilient than the rats that stayed with the mom continuously. So the moral of the story is, life is stressful. How do we allow youngsters to experience this stress on an incremental level so that when they get to be adults, they're not overwhelmed by the stress? How can they practice the skill of managing stress their whole life? Even as toddlers, they begin to manage stress. So this is really fascinating stuff, I think, and really important and a really good way to frame and explore these questions, it sort of reminds me of that image that I present and I will present on and off over the years in the podcast when I was working at that greenhouse and we were growing 10,000 heirloom tomato and pepper plants. And one day someone dropped by the farm to see the plants and we did not expect this person. And they, they, they dropped into the greenhouse and they were shocked because all the plants were lying on their sides. And they said, what is wrong with this greenhouse? What, what, what kind of operation is this? But this was the genius of our operation, is we were stressing those little plants. And those little plants, when they're stressed, what happens? They gotta seek out their own roots. They gotta put out their roots. They gotta find their water. How do we begin to think about allowing our kids to experience stress and overcome and learn to manage that stress. 
this is uh, some of my notes from the from the book, which I think I'm going to type up and put on the website at some point because there's just so much so much richness in those first 25 30 pages. I found I found this book a nice dense book. Uh, by a dense book, I mean you can you can read a page or two and then just go for a walk and put it down and have enough enough food for thought for quite some time. I mean, there's some fundamental questions about our core emotional nature. So here's a rough quote, uh, meaning I don't know if I wrote it down exactly in my notebook. The kid who decides on his own to do his homework or not will be happier, less stressed, and ultimately more capable of navigating his life as an adult. Think about that as we see so many people forcing their kids to do X, Y, or Z. We would like our kids to do X, Y, and Z, perhaps, but we have to allow them their some level of autonomy because they, they are autonomous people and they have to practice that experience. If we over-shelter them and over-direct them, as is happening so much these days, and it's happening out of fear, we all do better when we feel we can impact the world around us. We all do better when we feel we can impact the world around us. This is another great sentence from the book. And then they go on to focus on a section of false assumptions, which I want to read through because they're quite um, thought-provoking. There's just four of them. False assumption number one, there is a narrow path to success. The stakes are too high to let kids decide for themselves. I mean, people, the anxiety of parents is affecting the anxiety of kids. And oftentimes the anxiety of parents is being thrown onto kids. They worry about their own, they have their own existential angst. And then they just are focusing on the child and, and taking all that anxious energy and pushing the kid to do X, uh, X, Y, and Z again. To go to, to go to band practice, then go to sports practice, then do this, then do this. One thing in this book talks about is there really is a genius to letting your kids out the door on Saturday morning and say, get out of here for a few hours. See you in a few hours. There is a genius to saying, it's summertime. You're supposed to be bored. And when you r run your way through that boredom and out the other side, you're going to find some great things. So we've had this over-structuring, over-pushing, over-resume building, this hyper-focus on collegiate success as the ultimate in life. And meanwhile, we see many people who have had high school and collegiate success not be emotionally well. So we're making false correlations. Do we want our child to succeed in college or do we want our child to have emotionally sound life? I think the fundamental questions have to be explored at an early age, uh, an early, our early age of our children and an early age of ourselves as we self-direct ourselves. What is the most important thing in life? To have certain levels of wealth and financial security or to have certain levels of emotional groundedness and emotional security. And these are not mutually exclusive, but if we are structuring our society to focus on one at a hyper level, especially with teenagers, we can't be surprised when we have an epidemic of anxiety, depression, isolation, loneliness, addiction. This, this group of the... Uh, you know, the, the, the more common emotional challenges of our time.
So the false assumption one is that there's a narrow path to success. The stakes are too high to let the kids decide for themselves. False assumption two, it is critical to do well in school, to do well in life. All right, this one pretty much is part of the first one as far as I'm concerned. False assumption number three, pushing your kids to do more will result in increased success in life. Pushing the kids to do more. Oh, if we get them to band practice and we get them this and we get them that and we get them that and we get them that, that they're going to be successful in life. This is not true. And we have to really start to reconsider this assumption. Number four, false assumption. The world is as dangerous as ever. Because of the news and, and because of the internet, I suppose, or because of adult anxiety, we think that the world is more dangerous than it ever has been. It's dangerous in different ways, but it is actually not dangerous than ever. This point is not that relevant to this discussion, so I'm going to keep on moving. So they say the trick is to give enough freedom and respect to let them figure it out for themselves. The trick is to give children enough freedom and respect to let them figure it out for themselves. I do a lot of mentoring and mentoring, I find, is like a good alternative to parent, um, a good alternative to parenting, or a good like sidecar to a motorcycle. You have your parent in a fundamental role, role of, of caregiver, nest builder, financial, you know, provider of meals and and basic security. And the most important thing a parent can give the child is that basic security of just knowing that they have unconditional love and a safe space. But the problem is that safe space gets really damaged by these homework fights and these these school stresses. So you have this eight-year-old, nine-year-old who's not doing well in school. So they're stressed six or seven hours a day at, at school. They should be able to come home and at least go play with the friends for two or three hours and then be with the parents and have a nice meal and relax and recharge. If they come home and their parent, parents are on their case again and again, for not keeping up in school, this is creating such um, uh, an emotional stress in the child, it's doing more harm than good. So how do we navigate these situations? How do we build this sense of control, which is an antidote to stress? I gotta write these notes down. There's so many things to think about in this episode. I wanna keep on talking, but I feel like I'm overwhelming the listener. So. I'll, I'll try to put those notes together because there's just so much good food for thought in this book. And that's what a great book is, right? You walk into a library, you pick up a book, changes your life. I mean, what a world, right? I think we take these libraries for granted sometimes. So here's the thing. This book talks a lot about very practical approaches and, and, and practical skills with how to negotiate these conversations with your kids. Because... We're saying we want kids to have more say and more, more decision-making ability, even as 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. But how do we do this? What does this look like? And I'll give you the quick summary. The quick summary is, is this. Kids thrive with good, consistent boundaries. Consistent, logical boundaries. Okay? Once you set those boundaries, though, allow there to be a terrain. So imagine these boundaries are like a fence around a field, right? So you're saying, hey, I'm your parent. I got to keep an eye on you. I'm going to give you these boundaries, okay? You got to be home at this time. You could watch 
you could use the computer for a, to a, you know an hour to a day. You know these are the ground rules. Okay, these are just the rules I'm going to make. But after that, once you're in those once you're in those fences of those boundaries, you're free to decide how to spend that time and what you want to do. You're free to explore and to wander with your thoughts, to allowing the mind to quote unquote be bored, the, to allowing the space to wander. Is this is where we really reflect and digest on some important things in life. This is where we get to know our own selves and and begin to sense when we sense this part of ourselves where we need to be in this world and how we want to interact with this this world as we find ourselves. And to think that children are not capable of this is foolish. I, I'm pretty sure that this kind of thought and realization and, and reflection really does begin to happen on some levels at a young age. So let's think about let's think about our relationship to children. But let's also just think about ourselves adults as just we're still the same beings. We're still just grown up children. And children are just very young adults, but we all have the same basic needs, basic desires. Yeah, I think this is the fundamental takeaway is, well, the fundamental takeaway I hope is to read this book, or if not read the book, just read the first 30 pages, or pick, a co- pick up a copy of my notes, three or four pages on the first 25 pages. See, we're trying to make maple syrup for you here out of sap. Mmm. Ooh, sap pancakes so perhaps the final final point for now is best stated as this like we said children and adults adults and children we're all people people at different stages but we're all people with fundamental needs we all thrive well with some boundaries and we all thrive well with some autonomy and we all are looking for a meaningful place a meaningful niche in the world we feel like we contribute something worthwhile If we remember this for ourselves, for our spouses, and especially for our children, hopefully we can treat everyone with some care and concern along the journey, and uh, we'll keep finding our way, adapting to the changing landscape of modern times. Living and learning, keeping positive or trying to, accepting the ups and downs of life's I hope you guys are well. I hope this has been positive. Let me know what you think. Have a great day. Bye-bye.